They did what they were supposed to do. They reported the crime and they faced backlash for doing that. You would expect the U.S. military to protect them and to have their soldiers' backs, and they did not. You might recognize that voice from the nightly news. It's Nora O'Donnell, anchor and managing editor of the CBS Evening News. A few months ago, she won her first DuPont baton for a critical investigation into sexual assault in the U.S. military. We just celebrated Memorial Day, which honors our fallen service men and women. So we thought it was an apt time to talk about the women and men who themselves have fallen victim to both sexual assault and the larger unjust system within the U.S. military. Welcome to a new episode of On Assignment from Columbia Journalism School. I'm Abby Wright, Executive Director of the Professional Prizes Program, joined today as always by my friend and colleague, DuPont Director Lisa R. Cohen. Hello, Lisa, how you doing? Hey, Abby, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. As you know, Memorial Day kicks off the summer, and around here at the J School, it gets pretty quiet, except for our office, where we are still hard at work getting ready for the 2023 DuPont Awards cycle. Entries are rolling in, and I can't wait to watch and listen to all our wonderful potential new winners. And for the third year, we're also selecting finalists for the DuPont Awards, which means we're able to honor so much more of your work. So we urge you to apply. Go to our website for more info and links to the application. That's right. Go to DuPont.org. Before we look ahead to the 2023 DuPonts, we'd love to take a moment to ask you for your feedback on this podcast. Let us know what you think. We value your feedback or suggestions. You can email us at onassignmentpodcast at gmail.com. So today we're going to focus in on one of our really strong winners from this past year from CBS News, Military Sexual Assault. It's a stunning in-depth investigative series that showed the fallout of this crisis, talking both with the victims and to the grieving parents of women who died by suicide as a result of their mistreatment. It's raw, it's honest, and at times it's actually hard to listen to. The victims and their families come forward about what happened when they spoke up. One thing that really jumped out for me was that Nora also talked to advocates, three women, who first were hired by the military to clean up this mess, and then they were fired for doing their job, or at least trying to. So let's listen in to an edited conversation with the lead reporter on the story, Nora O'Donnell, recorded with us over Zoom. If you've listened to our past episodes this season, you know that we like to start our interviews with a bit of drama. We get to tell the winners that they've won a DuPont Silver Baton. And in this case, Nora's emotional response can give you a sense of just how invested in this story she was. Hi, Nora. Thank you so much for making time to speak with us. Oh my goodness, thank you. I feel like this is like the toughest (laughs) interview of my life. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm so glad you could talk to you today. Uh, Actually, we are here also because we have some news. And that is that your CBS News special investigation on military sexual assault has won a 2022 DuPont Columbia Silver Baton. Oh my God. Thank you so much for recognizing this work. But more importantly, I can't tell you what it means to uh, the men and women that we spoke with who are, have been victims of assault and harassment 
everyone wants their story to be told, but what they really want is for change to happen. And I think by giving voice uh, to these incredibly courageous families and these incredibly courageous survivors, change is almost here. And um, thank you very much uh, on behalf of Kristen, Steve, and, and Megan Dewey, who really did so much of this work for so long. We are so grateful. Thank you so much. So just to start out, Nora, for people who haven't seen this series, can you give us a basic summary, like in just a few sentences, what it's about? Absolutely. I mean, we at CBS News launched what turned out to be an almost two-year investigation where we talked to about two dozen survivors of sexual assault and harassment. We spoke with uh, victims' advocates and whistleblowers, and we spoke with families of members of the military who had died by suicide who had been victims of sexual assault. It was a comprehensive investigation that started with a tip and then really just unraveled into eye-opening revelations about what's happening in the U.S. military. I still cry every day. My mind's always on the call. I turn one corner, there she is. I turn another corner, there she is. Steve and Stacy Burnham say their daughter, Army Private Second Class Nicole Burnham, was sexually assaulted in June of 2017, within two months of arriving at Camp Casey in South Korea. There was an incident involving multiple male soldiers. We know that she was held down against her will. We know that there were pictures taken. Two months later, she was sexually assaulted a second time. Nicole requested an expedited transfer back to the United States far away from her assailant. It took them 82 days to get her out of South Korea. I don't know what part of expedited is 82 days. And I would say, who is there to help you? There has to be somebody you can go to. No, there's nobody here, mom. Please stop asking. You said that the story started with a tip. Can you take us back to how this all started, the reporting yeah. adventure? So our reporting started with a tip just like good old journalism. And the tip we received was that military commanders at Fort Bragg, which is the largest military installation in the United States, were trying to cover up reports of rape, sexual assault, and harassment. Then we met Lindsay Knapp, who had been a victim advocate, and she corroborated for us what we had heard from this tip. And then she really opened up the door into reporting more and more of this problem. And like any good investigation, you know, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion. You just keep reporting and reporting and reporting and finding out more. And that's when we really uncovered uh, that the problem is systemic and not just uh, at Fort Bragg or the U.S. Army, but in fact was across all branches of the U.S. military. There had to have been so many challenges in any investigation, but especially this kind of investigation. Can you talk a little bit about specifically the challenges to get access to subjects of the story. There were two distinct challenges in terms of reporting out this investigation. The first was just getting our hands on the documents, right? Any good investigation, you follow the paper trail. And so that meant using Freedom of Information Act in order to get some of these court documents, military documents, all of that stuff. So um, we did about a dozen of those Freedom of Information Act requests. 
that takes time. It takes patience to get those records back. In some cases, too, we also went for police records or court document records. So then we were able to get some documents from the victims and survivors and whistleblowers themselves. So now we're talking about thousands of pages of documents that have to be sorted, read through, gleaned, cold for information. The second big challenge, as our producers pointed out, was actually uh, getting the survivors to speak on camera with us. I mean, uh, imagine going through sexual assault, harassment, and then having to relive it and retell what happened to you. The most painful and horrific experience of your life and then retelling that story. And so many of these uh, survivors wanted to make sure that we would take care with their stories and that telling their stories would mean that change would happen. I can't think of um, really more difficult interviews I've ever done in my career than speaking uh, to these women who serve in the US military and then were abused, assaulted, harassed. And then when they reported what had happened to them, were then faced with backlash. This officer arrived at my home and said he needed to search my home. And after I let him in, I was violently raped. After you reported your assault, you were stripped of your rank. Yes, ma'am. They were trying to break me down. I was being harassed so bad by my commanders that ended up having a nervous breakdown. I cannot look at another junior soldier sobbing and know that they've been assaulted and people are like, oh, it'll get better. Just go deploy. That's not okay. Amy Braley, Frank, Marianne Buston, and Lindsay Knapp were all hired by the Defense Department's Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Program to help fix the problem. My greatest concern with the program itself is that there are some bad actors and commanders that have found a way to sweep these things under the rug. Marianne was fired in June after the Air Force commander she complained to about the sexually offensive culture on base took away her credentials. They didn't want change and they refused to do it. And they said, you're going to be gone, and, and they were right. They did what they were supposed to do. They reported the crime, and yet they faced backlash for doing that. And to me, that's one of the most egregious parts of this story as well, um, is that you would expect the U.S. military to protect them and to have their soldiers' backs and they did not in many of these instances. And that probably is one of the most infuriating parts of it as well. And then finally, I would just mention that one of the challenges we faced is reporting out the story in the midst of a pandemic. You know, our evening news broadcast every night was dominated um, with stories of COVID-19. And so the fact that CBS um, allowed our investigative team to continue um, reporting out the story uh, using precious resources, and then of course the airtime and giving it the attention, promotion and resources um, in the midst of a pandemic. So talk to us about how you and your producers approach these interviews when you're sitting down with someone who's a survivor of sexual assault or with a parent, a parent who's lost a child um, how do you handle these kind of interviews on such a, you know, sensitive and traumatic subject? You know, I've interviewed presidents and prime ministers and, and princes and done tough interviews with foreign leaders. But the most difficult interviews I've ever done is with 
uh, not only victims of abuse and harassment, but also the parents whose daughters died by suicide. The best thing for me in those types of interviews is to listen. Part of journalism has forgotten that is the importance of listening. Listening is one of the most important aspects of interviewing. It's also the most important ways that you can show someone that you care about them. All I tried to do in interviewing them is give them a space to tell their story and feel comfortable and make sure that we did our homework so that I can help them tell their story. So this is a tricky aspect to this. Um, you know, we're a journalism school. We work with our students to understand the standards that they have to uphold. When you're doing a story about sexual assault, how do you, on the one hand, have sensitivity towards these interview subjects who've gone through so much, and you really want to take care not to re-victimize the victims? That's such a common theme. On the other hand, you owe this obligation to the journalism to make sure that there's verification, there's corroboration. Can you talk a little bit about how you handled that part of it? It's a very important question. Part of the painstaking detail that goes into an investigation involves corroborating evidence and documentation. And so after we first received a tip about what was happening at Fort Bragg, then we spoke with the victim advocate who said, yes, this is happening. Then began the process of retrieving documents that showed what was happening. Um, getting court records, getting police records, getting stuff from the US military. Then we decided and talked about who we were going to interview and the types of families we were going to interview. Um, so in each of those cases, it takes a lot of time um, in bringing together the right types of stories to tell and also making sure that we could corroborate them in a way that would meet the standards of CBS News. So there were many stories that, that probably should have been on our air that were not because we could not find the corroborating evidence or paperwork. That doesn't mean they weren't true, but we wanted to make sure that the story that we did was um, ironclad. We also followed up with the Pentagon, the US Army or the particular branch that was involved. And so it's a lot of legwork. I think the thing that people don't understand, especially in television, is how much of that goes on, because yes. what they end up seeing on the screen is such a tiny bit of it, and it just feels like it all just fell into place. To look at the media landscape today, there are many different organizations that call themselves part of the media, and that's okay. You have social media, you have print media, you have cable television, which is largely, largely in the business of affirmation and I mean for political points of view, and you have broadcast media, which I think is trying to be in the business of information. And there are different standards um, that apply. And while many cable networks also do investigative pieces, the broadcast networks are involved in a type of investigative work that really reaches back to the old traditions of really making sure we can sign off on everything and also make sure you know, we get multiple points of view, we corroborate the information, we ask people for a response if they've been accused of something. And so that painstaking work is expensive. And I'm especially grateful to you and of course, uh, the DuPont Awards um, for, for recognizing what it takes to do this type of work. And it just gets me emotional because my sister serves in the US Army and I look at this as driving women out of US military service. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, you, uh, you are a self-described army brat. So was there at any point in the reporting of this story um, that that affected you, that it uh, helped you, that it 
held you back? How did it how did it play out? I grew up in a military family. My dad was drafted into the US Army during the Vietnam War and then stayed in for, for 30 years. I've lived all over the world, including on military bases. And so I have a deep appreciation for the values of the US military and the people who serve in the US military, who I hold in the highest regard. And so when finding out that there are men serving in the US military who commit these types of abuses and crimes, it's an anathema to what the US military represents. What I also found not only in this reporting, but also previous reporting that I had done about women, particularly at the US Air Force Academy, who had been victims of assault and harassment, is that these women who join the military are just the finest. You know, they're incredible, uh, incredibly smart. They're incredibly diligent. They're leaders. They're incredible athletes. They're just tough as nails. And the fact that they are being harassed and abused and driven from uh, military service is really a national security issue. And it may be one of the reasons that there, that only 15% of the U.S. Army is made up of, of women. Can I just follow up? If uh, you grew up in this world, were you surprised to learn some of the things that you were investigating? I was surprised. I was. Um, that was not in any of my experience growing up. But I had never heard about the abuse or harassment that we reported out. I wasn't naive that this stuff didn't exist either. But I mean, I just was not in my own personal uh, experience. This reporting appeared on the air, on your evening news show, on the morning show. But there was also uh, like a half an hour version on CBSN, I think, the digital version. And at the end of that, you made what I thought sort of an extraordinary um, closing statement. Before we go, a final thought. America is the greatest nation on earth with the finest fighting force there is. Men and women who with great personal sacrifice committed themselves to serve this country with distinction and honor. It's time to honor that commitment. Those who volunteer to protect this country deserve to be protected themselves. Tell me why did you decide to do that? I think abuse fosters in silence. And I think allowing survivors to tell their stories is a way to end the abuse and bring awareness to what has been what many people called a uh, shameful experience. But there shouldn't be shame surrounding abuse and assault. And in fact, um, the people who commit these types of crimes should be held accountable. I have never felt more strongly that journalism matters than after this reporting. I mean, I can look back at all of the stories and interviews that I have done, and this is at the top of the list in terms of the most consequential journalism that I have been involved in. And the fact that we're on this precipice of change, to me, is hopeful, but it's why I'm a journalist. You know, I really do believe that telling stories and interviewing people can change things. When I took over the job of anchor of the CBS Evening News, and managing editor, I went back and read Walter Cronkite's biography and looked at many of the things he said. And the thing that stuck out to me was the quote, journalism is what we need to make democracy work. That's it. That's it. We need an informed electorate. We need people to know what's going on. And if we have multiple instances of 
assault and abuse and a systemic problem that allows that abuse to continue, then that needs to change. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Where do things stand now with this situation? For years, it's been debated in Congress with female senators on opposite sides of this issue about whether the reporting of sexual assault and whether the adjudication of it should happen through the chain of command. As it is now, you know, for those of us that are in civilian life, right, if you were a victim of abuse or harassment, you would go to the police, right? In the instance of the military, it has to be reported up through the chain of command. And ultimately, the commander has an enormous amount of say in what happens next. It's sort of handled internally, to speak colloquially. And in many cases, we found, and as many of the survivors told to us, the problem is that in the US military, it's like a family. And so it's very difficult for the commander, who is like a parent, to then want to kick a child or someone else out of the military for something they've done. They say it not only happens with sexual assault and harassment, it happens sometimes like with the DUI or, or some other kind of infraction. The commander has uh, enormous leeway and discretion about how to handle these types of issues. So now, however, after all these years of reporting, Lloyd Austin, uh, the Secretary of Defense, uh, put together an independent commission they found that keeping this within the chain of the command was part of the problem, and that also corroborated our reporting that this was a systemic problem throughout the US military. And so for the first time ever, the Secretary of Defense, who's also a military man and a former commander, agrees it can no longer stay in the chain of command. That is just such a watershed moment. Telling this story created a movement. And, and many victims said that they wanted and that it was time for a Me Too movement in the US military. We are on the precipice of massive change. Thank you so much for talking about it. Thank you so much. Yeah, congratulations. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Abby. Thank you for all your work in terms of recognizing this journalism and um, really the hard work and painstaking detail of our producers as well, because it's was exhaustive work, as you know, with investigative work. And I'm especially humbled to receive a, a DuPont Award. There's just really nothing more prestigious. So thank you. It's really an honor and frankly, a privilege to get to recognize journalists like Nora O'Donnell and her team who work tirelessly to tell the stories that matter, even if they are hard to talk about, especially on national television. Absolutely. That's what the DuPonts really are all about. And this particular series really did have an impact. This past December, new legislation has empowered independent prosecutors to determine these cases uh, and take the cases out of the chain of command. Right, but I understand there's still a lot of work to be done. Even with that legislation, military commanders still have the ability to dismiss a case in lieu of court-martial, and they can still seriously influence the outcome of the case. Yeah, things happen a little by little. So we have to commend CBS News and Nora O'Donnell for inching us towards justice through their outstanding reporting. Thanks again to Nora O'Donnell for talking with us. That wraps up this episode of On Assignment Season 15. Produced by Emily Russell and sound engineered by Carlos Del Rosario. We'll be back next month. And in the meantime, the DuPont deadline approaches. That's July 1. Mark it on your calendar. See you next time. Mm -hmm.